Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, we were saying, I can't believe it's almost Christmas. Now we're saying, I can't believe it's come and gone. Amen? Um, and usually with churches, I can just tell you after pastoring many years now, um, there's a drop the next Sunday because there's sort of a letdown when Christmas is over. It's sort of like you went on an incredible ride at Six Flags and then it's over. And you kind of stand there looking around when you get off of it if you're still alive. The last ride I got on at Six Flags, my daughter talked me into going on it. And I want to announce to you, I've never gone on another one since. <laughs> this was not the roller coaster I remembered. Right? I think I, I left parts of me along the way. The bad thing was the camera took a picture of us as we arrived. And I did not look full of the Holy Ghost and power. <laughs> you know, and this terrified look in my eye. Anyway. But I want to read to you, very familiar, we've already read it uh, during this Christmas season, but let me read it again, Matthew 2, 13. Pay real close attention to this because this is going to show us the stress that sur surrounded Christmas for Joseph and Mary and what happened, what went down in their lives after bringing forth the Christ child. It says, when they had gone... An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape. Flee to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he's been told by an angel that King Herod is going to kill his baby boy. Now that's not news that's going to make you say, well, praise the Lord, let me pray about this. Right? This is a major announcement from an angel. Your son is in danger. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and they fled for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under that was hundreds of them. In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they aren't anymore. After Herod died... An angel of the Lord appeared in a dream of Joseph again in Egypt and said, get up. You know, the angel's always waking him up, right? Here it is again. Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. Thank you for your word, Lord. Bless it to our hearts today in Jesus' name. Can you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, help me in this new year coming to bear much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Let me just share a word with you out of, out of this story. Um, here it is, the day after Christmas. It's the day after Christmas, Sunday after Christmas, and here we are. And you know that one store I know of for sure is already selling Easter eggs? Yeah, Christmas comes, Christmas goes. It's here today, gone tomorrow. Life goes on, quickly moves on. 
And um, perhaps even in your own home, things are already getting kind of back to normal. Um, the tree's still up, but there's nothing underneath it. And maybe you had family visiting and they're gone and you're either sorry to see them go or you're rejoicing. <laughs> all the preparation, all the excitement, all the expense, now it's over for another year. And life is already coming back to the same old, same old. Here we go again. I wonder if Joseph and Mary were hoping for a return back to normal. After everything they went through, for the, the birth of the Christ child, I wonder if they were really hoping to be back to normal after that first Christmas, because it was the first Christmas when Christ was born. Now, if you think your Christmas was busy, uh, it wasn't anything compared to what they went through. Listen to this. Let's take a minute and just kind of think back to the first after Christmas experience of Joseph and Mary. The first Christmas itself was unimaginably difficult for Mary and Joseph. Incredible. Because you see, when she was told that she was going to bring forth the Christ child and that that which is conceived in her was of the Holy Spirit, when she was told that, and she began to show, and she began to carry that child, this was not the 21st century where women walk around uh, pregnant all the time, unmarried. No, it was a major, major negative, and it was, a, it was a source of slander and major criticism and social ostracism if you were pregnant without being officially married. So Mary had to walk around and bear the brunt of people giving her the eye and talking behind her back. She was gossiped against, and so was Joseph. And how many do you think believed her? She said, hey, I wasn't with a man. God did this. Because now they only think that you messed up and that you're crazy. She bore that. You understand? She bore that. It was a stigma. And she bore that stigma. But as she reached nine months pregnant, they, they receive word that they've got to travel all the way to Bethlehem to pay taxes. They had to go on a long journey. As a matter of fact, it was 68 miles. Nazareth to Bethlehem, 68 miles. They had to travel. And they didn't have an SUV, and they didn't have a, a regular car, and they didn't have a motorcycle, and they didn't have a plane, and they didn't have a train. They had a donkey. And they walked and rode a donkey. Now, ladies, how many of you could have gotten on a donkey and ridden 68 miles, nine months pregnant, That's what I thought. Most modern women would not have made the trip. They would have said, you go pay the taxes. I'm staying home. Right? Come on. But, but she went. Great with child. Nine months pregnant. And when they get to Bethlehem, they find out there's no room for them in the, in the local Bethlehem Holiday Inn. There's no room. There, there is a no vacancy swinging in the doorway. So they are exiled to the back of the hotel, and she begins to go into contractions. She goes into contractions in the back of the hotel, and there is nowhere to go. There, there's no doctor. There, there's no midwife. And, and guess what? There's no epidural. She's going into labor, back where the animals are. 
And all she could do was lay down and ask Joseph to help her. And there behind the inn, it's a mind blower, there behind that hotel where nobody was looking but Joseph and a few animals and God, the Christ child was born. God wrapped in skin was born. God came into the human race and became one of us in these surroundings. That's an amazing thing. That's an amazing, you know, if I'm going to send God to earth, I'm going to, I'm going to send him to the Taj Mahal. I'm going to send him to some upscale area of town. I'm going to send him where there's going to be all kinds of help. I am not going to deliver him behind a mid-range, middle-class hotel where there's not even room for my son to arrive because he's left heaven and left everything that he had in heaven to come to earth and be one of us. And yet that's where he was born. It was not easy. The first Christmas was not easy. It was not easy at all. Not easy at all. It came, as a matter of fact, with great difficulty. Great difficulty. Then after giving birth, when Mary just wanted to rest, totally unexpected Christmas guests arrived when the shepherds turned up. Oh, no, not more. I just want to rest. But no, here they are. And they said, we received a visit from an angel, and he told us to come find you here, and here we are. And we want to just give God glory. And so once again, once again, Mary and Joseph were inconvenienced, and, 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 and they were, they were uh, undergoing a, a hassle in, in, in the, whole thi- the whole birth of Christ. Everything surrounding his arrival came with interruptions and inconveniences. And hassles. Then 40 days later, she takes Jesus to the temple, Mary and Joseph did, to dedicate him. And even then, they're interrupted by two people who are a little bit different. Both of them are on in years. One of them grabs the the child and begins to prophesy over everything that God was going to use this child to bring about. And then he looked right at Mary as if she didn't need more news and said, and you know what? A sword of sorrow is going to pierce your own soul in the future because of this boy. And we know when it happened, when Jesus hung on the cross and she was in the crowd on the front row looking. And as Jesus died and gave up his last breath, there sat Mother Mary And that sword that Simeon, that was his name, that Simeon had predicted would pierce her soul, it happened then. It happened there. And then an old woman, a widow named Anna, grabbed the child and picked him up and began to prophesy over him again. And so they can't even dedicate him without interruptions and hassles and and, and, uh, outlandish and different things happening that are out of the ordinary Concerning this child, interruption after interruption, mind-bending prophecy after mind-bending prophecy, nothing was normal about bringing Jesus into the world. And I want you to notice that when Jesus comes into your world, you might have some trouble too, but it's good trouble because things are being stirred up and your life is being changed and the devil's being kicked out and God is sending life to you and he's got a purpose for you. And all kinds of things happen when you get saved. Amen. 
And, and right when it looked like things were finally settling down, they get a house. They get a little house in Bethlehem, and they, they just begin to settle down. And they're in this little house for about two years when uh, out of nowhere, there comes a rapping on the door. And when Mary opens the door, here's wise men from the east, Gentiles, men who have not been raised in Judaism, who do not know the God they know. Uh, they, are, they are total strangers, and they're at the door, and they said, we followed a star. Now, it doesn't say Mary knew anything about this star, but they saw the star, and they said, we have followed this star. It was an unusual star. We're astronomers, and we knew that something was different about it, and what, now we know it's his star, and we came to give him gifts. And here's Mary. Come on in. And they see the child, and they give gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And this is when their whole life was turned around and thrown up in the air. Because that night, when Mary and Joseph go to bed, he is spoken to by an angel in a dream. The angel Gabriel. The archangel Gabriel. And he says, get up. There is a... There is a um, intensity about his command. He's not saying pray about it. He said, I'm telling you, get up. Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother and stay there until I tell you you can leave because Herod is going to kill him tonight if you don't get him out of here. Herod will kill him tonight. The evil command has already been released. Already boys are dying throughout the land. Take your son and run. And that night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. He obeyed. And it says they stayed there till Herod's death. And this fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Now, there's several things I want to point out about this story for you and me now that it's after Christmas. All right? Because what just happened in their life happened after Christmas. This was after Christmas, and there were things they were walking in that we need to walk in after Christmas. Amen? And here they are. First, I want you to notice with me Joseph's immediate obedience to God, no matter how inconvenient it was. He immediately obeyed God. Now, I can tell you that sometimes obeying God immediately will save you a hassle in the future. Or it might save you some heartache in the future if you immediately obey God. But sometimes immediately obeying God can save your life. Did you hear me? Immediately obeying God can save your life. Because if Joseph had not immediately obeyed God, we would not be here today because the Christ child would not have grown up and died on the cross for your sins and mine. He immediately obeyed God and it saved the life of the Christ Jesus, our Savior, he immediately obeyed God. I want you to note what he didn't do. He didn't argue with God. This, this came in the middle of the night. Let's say two in the morning. You're fast asleep. And an angel appears to you in a dream and says, get up. You sit up. And then he tells you something that heavy. If you don't get out now, then hell is going to knock on your door and your son is going to be killed. And probably you with him. He didn't wait to try to figure it all out like we do sometimes, like I do sometimes. 
He didn't nudge Mary and say, hey, dear, I need you to pray with me about something. He didn't do that either. No, he woke her up. He said, get ready. We're out of here. What do you mean we're out of here? God spoke to me. We're out of here tonight. Tonight we are out of here. Tonight we are fleeing. We are not going to see sunrise in this house. We're out of here. He immediately obeyed. I believe some days may be coming on America. I don't know. But maybe that we are really going to need to understand the necessity of immediately obeying God. Immediately obeying God. Because, you know, God still speaks, folks. God did not go. uh, uh, Listen, God didn't lose his ability to talk after the first century. No, he mainly talks to us out of his word, but there have been times he's warned me in my heart about things. I had a warning in my heart. There have been times that I've walked around feeling heavy and I didn't know why. And I had to pray and say, Lord, what is this? And he said, you need to this and you need to that. And I had to obey him. And if I had not obeyed him, there would have been heartache or trouble or a hassle. See, the Holy Spirit that lives in us is not a thing or an it or some ethereal fog. He's a person and he knows the mind of Christ. So everybody say, he immediately obeyed. Then we see that God already had a perfect plan in place. Here comes this major trial, this major attack from Satan, but God already had a plan, a perfect plan in place. You know, can I tell you that nothing happens to you that surprises God? Can I I tell you that God never sits in heaven? I say this a lot, but I probably always will. But he never sits in heaven and sees you, sees a major trial come into your life and go, wow, well, I'll be. I didn't see that coming. What are we going to do, Jesus? Well, I don't know. Wait till they pray. No, he, he already knew it was coming before it was launched. And what I want us to see today is God already has a plan in place. He already has a plan in place. He has your provision, and he has your direction prepared before a trial ever arrives. Our God is always the one that says, checkmate to the devil. The prophet Hosea, centuries before Christ, centuries before this went down, had predicted that God's son would be called out of Egypt, that for some reason, God's son would for a time be in Egypt. He said that centuries before Christ arrived. Do you get that? The amazing power of the word of God, the amazing accuracy of the prophecies of scripture. Hosea didn't know what all that meant. He, He just wrote it down. Out of Egypt, I called my son. And here we see the angel telling Joseph, flee to Egypt, and the son of God arrived in Egypt. And one day after that, when Herod died, he was called out. And that completely and perfectly fulfilled Hosea's prophecy when Jesus came out. The same God that said, I'm going to send my son to Egypt, and then I'm going to call him out of Egypt. That God said, one day the trumpet's going to blow, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. The same God that predicted his son would be called out of Egypt also predicted that event. Yes. And it's interesting to me that the very place that had held Israel in slavery for 400 years, 
became the place God used to hide Mary and Joseph and Jesus until the danger was gone. Isn't that something? God can use anything he wants to. They came. Joseph asleep again. And again, get up. Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life were dead. No questions, no arguing, no hesitation. Joseph, Mary, and Jesus head to Nazareth. God had protected them. And God will protect you and he'll protect me as we seek him. You got to seek him and walk with him, walk tight with him. And boy, I'll tell you, the days we're living in, I get up every day and I say, give me that Bible. I'm getting into the Bible right now. I'm going to get the word of God right now. I'm going to gather my manna right off the bat. I'm not going to give the day and all of its troubles time to scramble my brain before I'm into the word of God. Because we need to be walking with him tight in these last days. Tight, tight, tight. Those that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Those that know their God. Amen. So a key Christmas or after Christmas message for us is obey God no matter how inconvenient it is. And sometimes, folks, it is flat inconvenient. We don't like getting kicked out of our lazy boy. We don't like having to turn that TV off. We don't like turning off that computer. We don't like our normal uh, uh, routine being upset by anything. But sometimes God will say, you better get up and you better do this and that. And he, he will disrupt and inconvenience you. But it always is for a good reason and it may save you from all kinds of trouble. And that leads me to another truth that jumps out at me about this story. The safest place to be is where God leads you. I'm going to say that again. The safest place to be is where God leads you. That's the safest place to be. You, you may be surrounded by a vicious storm, but if you're in the middle of that storm in the will of God, then you're going to be in the eye of that storm. And the Bible tells me that my God has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. He has his way. So sometimes... You may be in the natural in a really difficult place, but if it's in the will of God for you, it's the safe place. It's the safest place. The wise men followed a star, and it led them to the Christ child. The wise men also followed God's instructions in a dream, because he's talked to them too. And they escaped Herod's wrath. Joseph followed the angel's instructions, and he escaped Herod's wrath. In Egypt, though it was the place, as I mentioned, where Israel had been held in slavery for 400 years, that's where God led them. So that was the safest place. The safest place is where you have God's peace. The safest place is where you have God's peace. There have been times I've had God's peace in the weirdest places, in, in the most difficult places, but it was where I had his peace. So guess what? It was the safest place. But when you go try to save yourself and you, and you run off to something that looks like it's going to be safe to you, but God did not order it or lead it, you're going to find out you're not safe there. No, because salvation is of the Lord. And, and wherever he puts you, that's the safe place. That's the safe place. Amen. And then I got to also notice in this story, 
kind of start approaching the end here, is a Christian isn't exempt from trouble. I'm going to say it again. A Christian is not exempt from trouble. If you think getting saved is going to exempt you from trouble, meet me in the altar afterwards and give me about an hour of your time. And I'm going to tell you all the war stories from my life. And it will take probably way more than an hour. Because I want to tell you, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're not going to experience trouble. But not just my experience. Let me tell you the word of God. Listen to this. Peter wrote, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through. As if something strange or weird were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. Beautiful. Peter says, why are you surprised that you're going through fiery trials? Now, for them, it was persecution. But why are you surprised that you're going through these fiery trials? Didn't you know that you were going to go through trials? Didn't Jesus say in the world you're going to have tribulation? Didn't he tell us that? We don't like to claim that verse. We don't even like to quote that verse. But that's what he said. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have setbacks. You're going to have attack. The enemy is going to come after you. He's going to come after your marriage, after you, your home, your children, your money. He's going to come after you because you've got a target on your chest because you love the one he hates. So why are you shocked that you're going through a trial? Why are you shocked that the enemy has gone for your jugular? That he's trying to take you out, take you down, take you out. Why does that shock you? You shouldn't be surprised. And then Peter says, guess what? You really actually should be glad. Do tell, Peter. How can I be glad? Because you're sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Now, Jesus suffered all he needed to on the cross for our sins. His blood was shed for our sins. But the sufferings of Christ are the ongoing attacks from Satan against anything that is of or from him. And if you're his child, the enemy is going to come after you. But the good news is you're partaking of Christ's sufferings and he's going to walk you through it just like he did Joseph and Mary. What got them in all this trouble? Jesus was born into their life. Before Jesus came into their life, they were just another couple about to get married, have a family, white picket fence with spot running around in the front yard. And then Jesus was born into their life. And that's when trouble came. You ought not be surprised when Jesus is born into your life and trouble comes. But that's all right, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And he will make all things work together for the good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. Amen. The arrival of Jesus into the world brought joy, but it also brought difficulty and suffering because of spiritual warfare. You think Herod did this on his own? Herod was a mean, wicked, cruel guy. He killed so many of his own family and and extended... Uh, family, relatives, he killed a bunch of them. He killed his favorite of his 10 wives. Really, it kind of became a saying, don't become Herod's favorite. He killed his favorite wife's father. He killed his grandfather. He was a killer, murderer, crazy guy. 
But do you think that he issued this um, national, this, this total attack against the Christ child, a two-year-old? What threat is a two-year-old? Come on. No, something spiritual was involved. Something deeply spiritual was involved. Because he was the Christ child. He's going to grow up and bruise the devil's head. He is going to spell the doom of Satan. He is going to redeem the world to himself. Amen. And, and, and so Herod didn't fully understand. I don't think he fully understood why his anger and the, the ferocity of his command to wipe out all the boys. Rachel wept for her children that night because they were not. No, he was moved by Satan in his attempt to kill Jesus. This is why the wise men and Joseph and Mary with Jesus had to flee. Trouble came when Christ was born. But I want to close with this. We see that God is in control. God was in control. God was ultimately in in control of the whole thing. The whole thing. Uh, uh, That doesn't mean since he's in control that your life's going to be trouble free or bad things can't happen. They do. Bad things have happened to me. Bad things can happen to you. But here's what scripture says. I'm going to quote it again. The Lord has his way in that whirlwind and in that storm. The Lord's will will be done. God is not moved by a storm. God rides the storm. Jesus walks on top of the waves that are troubling you. Jesus is in charge. God is ultimately in sovereign control. He is in control. His hand is on the dial of all your trials. Yes. Through all the trouble, think about this, all this trouble, all this tumult, all this mess that happened around the birth of the Christ child, all of this, this heartache that came, the, the, the tension, the disruptions, the inconveniences, God was working out his plan the whole time. You ever seen somebody who knits and if you come up on them and they're knitting and they're, they're looking at whatever they're knitting and you see the back side of it, you see what's underneath, you see the other side of what they're knitting, it just looks like a big jumbled mess. It makes no sense at all. But when they're done and they turn it around, you see this beautiful picture of what they were knitting. At first it looked like a mess. But then on the other side, it's beautiful. That's your life and mine. Sometimes we go through messes, trouble, failures, setbacks, confusion, betrayal. And when we look at it, we go, how's anything good coming out of this? But then one day, God just turns it around. And we go, oh. I see. And what is on the other side? You look like, think like, talk like, walk like Jesus. On the other side. Can we stand up together today? Thank you. In God good. In God good. So some of you got some messes going on. I can tell. Because when I said that word started going into that, you get real still. And that look comes on your face. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. 
I heard one preacher say, God can't bless your mess. But that's not true. God can bless you in the middle of a mess. Amen? And so, in the year 2022, folks, I said this Friday night, and I'll say it again. I had my little candle, electronic or battery-operated candle, and I held it up. And I said, now, now this is the light, because we are the light of the world. He said, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. We're supposed to shine. But the enemy wants to snuff it. He wants to get it where it doesn't shine. He wants to put his hand over that light and snuff it with troubles and problems and despair and doubt and all the things that Mary and Joseph went through. Mary didn't let him snuff it out. She kept these things in her heart. The things about Jesus and refused to let the enemy steal them. You got to refuse to let the enemy steal what God has sown in your heart. You got to refuse to let him steal it. Oh, come on, church. You got to refuse. You got to take a stand and say, you know what? You're not having what God gave me. You're not having my destiny. You're not having my promises. You're not having my anointing. You're not having my calling. You're not having my purpose. You're not having any of it. You got to say, I'm going to keep. That means to lock something down so that it's not ruined. You got to keep it. Yeah. And the enemy won't take it if you lock it down. You put it in there by faith and you protect it. So I want us to pray. Can we just lift our hands towards the Lord? Say, Jesus, today, I'm your child. You bought me with the blood of the Lamb. And you called me and you purposed that I would bring fruit forth. Lord, in 2022, the enemy will not have my light. He will not have my faith. He will not have the promises, my calling, my purpose, even my joy. I lock it down safe in my heart by faith and nothing will wrest it from me. Now lift your hands and say, thank you, Jesus. 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 We bless you and magnify you. With all of our heart, Lord, we magnify you. I just hear, I hear this, this too shall pass. This too shall pass. Weeping may endure for a night, but I'm telling you, joy comes in the morning. I tell you by the word of God. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. How many of you believe that's true? I want us to give the Lord a shout today. Come on. Come on. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Amen. Well, this is a great way to spend the day after Christmas. Amen. So good to have all of you here today. By the way, how many of you heard Jesus calling you out of pecan pie, chocolate cream pie, <laughs> cherry pie? That's the last pie last night, cherry pie. How many of you felt like God said, it's okay? Go ahead. You know? 
And, and how many of you know that you've got some calories in you that weren't there before Christmas, right? Do you know that I went to uh, around eight Christmas dinners in 10 days? Because all of our departments had Christmas. Even the motorcycle group had Christmas party and food. And see, I had to go. I had to go. I mean, what am I going to do? I'm the pastor. They invited me. So I, and, and, you know, I just felt like I need to eat it so they don't feel bad. So I had to eat that. that you, know how, you know how preachers get so big. Uh, you know, you see these preachers. I saw one preacher. He was a very rotund man. And he let loose in one of his sermons on national TV to women in the sanctuary who had gotten a little heavy. And here he is, Santa Claus on the stage. And he's coming against these women and saying, you ought not. And, and I thought, oh, somebody take him into the green room and wake him up. Right? But um, anyway, yeah, I had to eat it. And I, and, and I felt I had to eat the pie too. Last night, the cherry pie, somebody made it because they knew that I liked cherry pie. I had to eat it. So I ate so much pecan pie, cherry pie, bluebell ice cream with the cherry pie and more bluebell no ben and jerry's just bluebell and man i'll tell you i had a good week had a good week all right it's good to see all of you we love you in the lord we do very much and uh, let me just i want to speak a blessing on you uh, this is a well-known blessing but i love it and i want to speak it on you will you let me do that so let's lift our hands let me speak this on you May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. In Jesus' name.